You're listening to Tripper Heads Talking to You with Aaron Bush. From Riches to Rags, Part 2. The tale of the pandemic in Hong Kong. Aaron Bush talks with University of Hong Kong Chair Professor of Epidemiology, Ben Cowling. The government in Hong Kong has decided, unlike SARS-1, we do not need a review of what went down. Mm. You're saying you'd like somebody to write all that down, that what that happened. But if you guys aren't doing a review, are you, is Hong Kong University itself doing a review? So I don't think, I'm, I'm not aware of any formal process like, uh, like what happened in 2003 with SARS, where international experts came in, documented everything that happened and, and looked to, to, to make some some lessons to be learned and some recommendations for what to change. For example, to create the CHP, which happened. And that was a really useful thing to to suggest. I think at this point in time, it would be very helpful to reflect on what happened in the last three years, not necessarily to point fingers, to blame anyone, to to try to score points in in any sense, but just to reflect back what was done well, what, what could have been done better, and what should we change now so that if or when there's another pandemic, maybe not in our lifetimes, maybe, maybe, you know, at some point in the future, when that happens, how could Hong Kong be as well prepared as possible in terms of, of, of how it's going to respond? And so I think a review would be valuable. Um, I'm not aware of any plans for that. In my team and, and the research we're doing in the School of Public Health, we certainly look at some of the policies and, and try to figure out which policies had more impact than others, maybe comment on some of the implementation aspects. Uh, one of the things I'm looking at at the moment is the vaccine pass policy to see what difference did it make when there was a vaccine pass. Um, but this is all piecemeal. You know, it, it's just one thing at a time. So we already looked before at restaurant measures. We, we said it didn't, didn't make much difference, to the, the measures that were done in restaurants. Um, yeah, we'll look at other things as well, one by one, but but no kind of overarching review. And, and that wouldn't be something that I would volunteer for. I mean, I think that, that would be the kind of thing that would have to look at lots of different aspects and it would be better done by, by international experts who are independent of, of everything in Hong Kong. You didn't have any anything to do with any of it and are just coming purely as outsiders to, to then help to review whatever happened and, and how it happened and, and what could be done better next time. Tripperheads talk and tea. You just touched on vaccine pass. You're going to look into it. You said you're going to mm. do another study. But mm. when you look back on that, did the end justify the means for vaccine pass? Well, the interesting thing to me about the vaccine pass is that really the, 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 the policy came in after more than half the population had already been infected. So in, in other parts of the world, when they had vaccine pass policies, it was in the context of saying, in 2021, we've got to get the vaccine coverage as high as possible because we're, we're not going to hold back COVID forever. At the point when COVID spreading, we want vaccination coverage to be really high. And so the ends justify the means we're going to use coercion with a vaccine pass to get people vaccinated, even if they weren't, weren't that keen to get vaccinated. And I think in other parts of the world, it, that the vaccine passes that we use, the passports and so on, played a role in getting high vaccine coverage because people that wouldn't have got vaccinated got vaccinated. Um, I mean, there's concerns about the, the, the ethics also and so on of it, but uh, I mean, at the, the ends, in that sense, just divide the means. But in Hong Kong, if you remember, the vaccine pass came in, I think, March, April 2023, uh, 2022, sorry, June 2022 was the third dose deadline. And in March and April... 50% of the population had already been infected with BA2. 
and the vaccine uptake in younger adults was extremely high. So the marginal increase, if you're saying, you know, it's already 80% coverage in, in working age adults, but you've got to get it to 81% or 82% with a vaccine pass of 85%. I mean, that's the, there's, a, there's a marginal benefit to, to putting that kind of pressure on the community uh, to coerce vaccination. And my concern at the time when the policy was announced, my concern at the time was that later there'd be some kind of blowback on vaccines. And we know vaccines do a lot of good for public health. Childhood vaccines for measles and rubella and all of that, they're really essential for public health. Adult vaccines for flu, for HPV uh, in, in school-aged children, but for, for when they're adults. Uh, shingles vaccine, all those other vaccines do a lot of good. And if people are put off getting vaccinated because of the bad memories of being coerced into it, with COVID, then I, I think that's ultimately a negative, and you'd have to have a very strong case for for, for pushing vaccination uh, with COVID with the vaccine pass to, to to justify that. And I still, looking back, I still don't see a, a very strong case for vaccine pass in younger people. In older people, uh, the vaccine coverage, as we mentioned already, was too low, but that's a different issue. And I think that was that was a could have been solved in other ways not not necessarily by by a vaccine pass could have been solved by by uh, alerting people that covid was going to be spreading fairly soon in the community and that that they should really get vaccinated otherwise they're going to get infected and and it could be much more severe you're listening to tripper heads talking to you with aaron bush on the vaccines i think we got our first vaccines delivered march 2021 was it late late and I, i think i got my first one March or April. Yeah. Um, at the time, the mm. government was telling us if we got a certain level of mm. um, vaccination, we could open up. Mm. And that number that was given out quite regularly by the experts that we were mm. told to look after, I mean, people with professors at the beginning of their name, mm. the the target kept changing. Did, yep. I mean, how did that, that also must have somehow affected the vaccine uptake because, I mean, I, I took my vaccines and I did it and I got to three and that's all I needed for vaccine pass. Right. But I had plenty of people on Twitter saying, well, they just moved the goalposts again. There's no point. And, and, and that's probably maybe where they went to vaccine pass because they realised that the changing goalposts had, people had stopped uh, uptaking. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that in 2021 there was no vaccine pass. There was no, not even any talk of a vaccine pass as far as I remember in 2021. It was all talk about 70% and then 80%. And then I remember one expert, it was above 100%. They were saying we need 100 and something percent coverage. And I, I don't know what that meant, but that obviously wasn't achievable. <laughs> the highest we could get would be, would be close to 100 Um but uh, it, it, it was a bit bizarre. And whereas in other countries, they almost set the timeline and said, you know, by September or by October, we're most likely going to open and we'd like the vaccine coverage to be this level. When we do that, in, in Hong Kong, it was the other way around. It was, it was always moving the goalposts, like the, the Charlie Brown and the American football. You know, you, you get there and then it's moved. And uh, it, it, it was frustrating at the time because I think by the end of 2021, there was a good case for, for talking about opening up. But in advance of that, advising older people that hadn't yet been vaccinated that the clock is ticking and they don't have a lot longer to, to go and get vaccinated. And even at that moment, if, if with a plan to reopen, a timeline to reopen, if vaccine coverage and older people not being high enough, then taking further action to achieve that. But the vaccine pass wasn't really talked about until after Omicron BA2 had been spreading already. And so I, 
I, I still to this day don't understand why why employers and, and universities were insisting that 18 year olds get a third dose on top of not only two doses, but most likely an infection. And anyway, having a very low risk of severe COVID. I mean, there's very few people around the world age 18 who've died from, from COVID, even without vaccination. Right? It, it, it's just typically a very mild infection in younger people. It's, it's in older people that COVID's a, a health threat. And in people of middle age who've got underlying health conditions, and then rarely other people that, that can get struck down out of the blue. But uh, on, on average, it, it, it was a, a, a bit of a mystery to me why, why there was so much pressure on younger people um, to, to get that third dose in June 2022. Memories flooding back again. Um, it's vaccine pass. I think we could do like three podcasts just on vaccine pass. So this is just my last point. But remember at the end of vaccine pass, I think the PDF was eight pages long to mm. try to understand where you stood and what you needed mm. if you had certain things. It was also the recommendations, right? Not only the vaccine pass, but the, 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 right, the recommendations. Yep. So as we went into 2022, we had vaccine pass going on and the Omicron outbreak going on and... Everything going on. I mean, that was a big year for 20, Hong Kong 2022. You said how we kept changing the goalposts. We didn't have a plan. Do you have a theory on why the government did not have a set plan like most countries did for opening up? Well, I think their plan was not to open up. I think the plan was to keep COVID under control with the measures that had so far been successful with finding cases, isolating them and quarantining their contacts and using social distancing measures if and when necessary. Um, and unfortunately, Omicron just, just was, was too transmissible. It, it was not possible to, to stop it. Um, so I don't think there was a plan B, unfortunately. And looking back, that would have been advisable. Tripper heads talk and tea. In 2022, we had two different governments. Uh, John Lee took over from Kerry Lamb. Have, did you notice any changes in policy or how... Was it, was, it seemed like chalk and cheese, the two. But, I mean, John Lee was in the government of Carrie Lam, yet when he came into power, within a month, quarantine went from seven days to three days, I believe, because mm. I was on holidays at the time and was very, very happy. My first holiday in mm. two and a half years, and they dropped it down to three days quarantine. Did you, uh, working on the pandemic, notice the changes between the two governments? Yeah, not, not particularly in public health terms. I mean, what I would say and what I said at the time in, in May and June of 2022, after that big BA2 wave with more than half of the population infected, we knew that, we, we had data to show that. Um, what that meant was COVID no longer posed such a threat anymore to the general population. To older people who hadn't yet been vaccinated or infected, if they'd avoided infection, then it, it was obviously a, a concern. Um, but by and large, the advice I, I'm sure I gave in interviews in in may and june of 2022 is that hong kong could reopen any time we don't need the measures anymore because we've had that big wave we've had a, a lot of natural immunity now in the population vaccine coverage has been increasing the vaccine pass was in place at that time and uh, unfortunately that the measures kept going for months after that it was quarantine was still there it went down to three days but i thought it could have been it could have been eliminated completely um, and some of the other measures were still in place the mask mandate lasted until March of the following year, which was a really a long time away. And there was always an, uh, the idea that once the mask mandates relax, we're going to have stuff coming back. We're going to have infections like flu coming back. And you know what? Flu did come back. So they relaxed the mask mandate, I think, 28th of February, 2023. 
and by mid-March, flu was on the rise and peaking by the end of March. When I draw the, the figure of the flu epidemic, so the first wave of flu since the pandemic, like you put the arrow at the beginning of that curve, it's when the mask mandate was relaxed. So it was true. Once the mask mandate goes, flu will be back. But you, you can't keep a mask mandate in place because you want to hold back flu forever. I mean, I don't think that, that that's rational at all. Flu's occurred every winter for, for, for as far back as anyone can remember. And so we, we have to be prepared for it. When the mask mandates relaxed, we were ready. We knew there was going to be flu circulating. The hospitals could get ready and whatnot. But at, uh, it, it didn't turn out to be, to be as big a wave as, as we feared it might be. Chipperheads talk and tea. I do want to touch on the flu. Mm. Now, this is anecdotal from my friends and, and colleagues mm. and the like. They have all said this year that mm. they got the flu and mm. it was 10 times worse than getting COVID. Yep. Um, and obviously, we kept the flu out because we're keeping COVID out. Is this something that, I mean, obviously, you look into and the university looks into that cause and consequence? Well, I'll say a few different things about that. So for flu, we know on an annual basis before COVID, flu was killing between 500 and 1,000 people a year. And it was putting maybe 10,000 people in hospital on an annual basis. Mostly older people, some, some younger people as well, some children, especially young children. COVID, of course, after vaccinations were widely available, killed 10,000 people in Hong Kong in that first year in 2022. That's 10 times more than, than killed by flu. Um, and it put a much larger number of people in hospital as well. Um, and it would have been far worse if we'd had COVID before vaccines were available. It, it would have had even, even a much larger number of deaths, a much larger number of populations. So relatively speaking, COVID's a much nastier infection for a population than flu. But on an individual basis, um, it's quite possible that for a middle-aged adult, if they got vaccinated for COVID and then they got COVID, it could be quite mild. If they haven't been vaccinated for flu for a while and they get flu, it, it could be quite nasty. I mean, I certainly, if you haven't had flu for some time, your immunity has gone down. When you do get it, it, it could be nastier. That certainly happens with some viruses. Um, but I can say that on average in, in this last few months when flu has been circulating, it hasn't had as, as much of a health impact as we, we worried it might have. Um, people certainly were in hospital with flu. Unfortunately, I, I expect some people died. But uh, I, I don't think it was anything abnormal compared to, to, to the past. On that, we were talking about how vaccine reluctance and being forced into vaccine pass made more reluctance. There was a lot of people that were reluctant to get vaccinated, and you are talking earlier about the vaccinations. I mean, are we seeing a backlash against simple things like the yearly flu vaccine? I don't think so yet. And actually, one of the, 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 the good policies from the Hong Kong government in recent years is having flu vaccination in schools. Um, so about two-thirds of children in Hong Kong are now getting vaccinated every year in schools with a school-based vaccination program. And I think that does help because that reduces transmission in the community, reduces the hospitalizations in children and hospitalizations in general because of the reduced transmission. Um, as for older people, I think it's too early to say, um, but, but I'm keeping a close eye on the, the annual vaccination uptake. And I hope that it won't dip. If anything, I hope that for flu vaccination in older people, it, it will go up because we know that older people can really benefit from getting their annual flu shot. From Riches to Rags, part two. I'll take a break from the pandemic and get a bit more background on Professor Ben Cowling. You have a PhD in statistics. You're the chair professor of epidemiology at HKU. And before we recorded this podcast, I find out you're also an international level bridge player, as in the card game. 
Is there no end to your geekiness? Oh, <laughs> well, I, I don't play much bridge anymore. I used to play a lot when, when I was in uh, sixth form at school, played with, with some friends, uh, learned together, and then at university played a lot of bridge instead of going to lectures and, and studying. Um, and the university that I was at Warwick University, I captained the bridge team. We won the university championships one of those years I was there and got to represent the UK in a European tournament. Um, played in a few other international tournaments as well. Didn't win, did okay. Um, I, I really like the game. It's, it's a quick card game. Uh, one, one hand of bridge takes f between five and ten minutes, more like five minutes probably. Uh, so it's not like chess where you play for hours and hours and if you lose, you know, it's, it, you've lost that hour as well. Uh, with, with bridge, it's a, it's a relatively simple game to pick up. But there's a lot of complexity to it in terms of the what you're doing, and you play with a partner, so you also have to build an understanding. And uh, I, I find it fascinating, and it's a it's a a, a mental uh, change as well from from thinking about epidemiology and infections and whatnot to to just be be playing cards. So I I, I enjoy. I don't play much anymore, but I, I do enjoy the odd game of bridge. Does the statistics PhD help? In bridge? It's, it's odds. So when you're thinking about who might have which cards, you can think about the odds a little bit. But you can also learn those, even if you didn't have a statistical background. You, you can just learn what, what the kind of odds are. And there's some almost common sense to it as well. Um, but certainly a lot of the top bridge players around the world have some background in, in maths or, or, or whatever. Often they're bankers and, and, and so on, that, that they've got a bit of a, a mathematical background. And that does doesn't harm, at least, to, to, to play a card game like Bridge where there's, there's odds involved. So that rules me out because there is a general rule for journalists. You go into journalism if you can't count. And I know <laughs> that from the pandemic and the number of journalists that kept asking me to look at my spreadsheet because I needed the computer to add it up for me because they couldn't count either. Yeah. Now, but earlier we were talking on the fact that you used to go on RTHK. Uh, you were on Twitter. Mm. A lot of people know you from uh, Twitter. You, uh, Ho Park Leong, used to go on... Um, regularly mm. and were, uh, you wouldn't say criticising the government, but have, were questioning their policies. Did you ever get into trouble? Well, the, not exactly. I mean, I always try and be quite careful to, 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 to talk in terms of what's the science, what's the evidence, and, and not to criticise government officials, but to say that we need to think about certain policies and what's the rationale for them and maybe they could be tweaked. Um, I, I do remember having a little bit of heat for, for a couple of things I said. One of them was on the, the post-isolation isolation policy. If you remember, people were, who were got COVID were being isolated for, I think, a 10-day minimum spell in North Lantau late 2021 and then a new policy came in to say just to be sure they haven't got covid when they're when they're discharged we better keep them for another 14 days on top of the minimum 10 and so that that was weeks and weeks of, of people being isolated when they faced a minimum minimal risk actually once someone's uh, turned negative on the pcr test uh that they're really very unlikely to be contagious and I, I didn't see a rationale for that policy, so I, I, I raised some questions about it and, and got a little bit of heat back about, uh, you know, we, we have to stop COVID at all costs and, you know, in any... Oh, was all, that all internally measures. at HKU? You got no, it was in the newspaper. In the it was in the newspaper, oh, yeah. yes, you got yeah, a... Yeah, uh, SCMP. You got um, Sophia Chan to write uh, a big op-ed about you, didn't she? So that, yeah, so the so former health secretary. Right. So, so someone picked up what I'd written on Twitter in a in a... 
in a sort of you know moment of, of <laughs> frustration <laughs> frustration and uh, and it, it got into the newspaper and then there was a response from the department of health in the newspaper uh, so that was one and then there was a separately about the vaccine pass i, I think i wrote in in uh, probably may or june of 2022 about the vaccine pass you know whatever's happened in the past i think we, we don't need it anymore because we've had all these infections the vaccine coverage is very high so there's there's an incremental marginal benefit at this point to keeping it in place and again uh, there were there were responses back in the media saying that it's essential for the security of hong kong to uh to, for, for the vaccine pass policy and anyway it's not coercive um I, I don't remember the argument why it wasn't coercive but you know it yeah, supposedly it's, it's not a coercive policy, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I still wonder about uh, if I could have written something a little bit differently that would have foreseen some of the counter arguments and, and tried to, 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 to argue against those because you can't keep going backwards and forwards or backwards and forwards. So, uh, I, yeah, I leave it to other people as well to, to, to put their head up at some point. In this new normal Hong Kong, do you feel like you are needing to check yourself when you tweet something? I mean, not so much now, you don't tweet out uh, too much. Uh, you're more doing the studies post-pandemic, but do you feel like you even doing this podcast? Do you feel like you have to check yourself? Yeah, not particularly. I mean, I'm obviously I'm always trying to be quite measured and try not to give too many just pure opinions, but try to say more about what, what we know from the science and what I know as, as someone who's who studied evidence and science on all of these things. Um, but I know for many of my colleagues in the university is, it's a concern that, that puts them off some research topics, um, puts them off uh, thinking about things like a public inquiry for COVID because uh, because of the, the the legal frameworks that are now in place in Hong Kong, but uh, I, yeah, for for myself, I, I will continue to to, to speak out the, the way I see things. Um, continue to look at what's happened in the past three years with COVID, and continue to look at other policies, and certainly advocate for public health, advocate for making people healthier, happier, live longer lives, um, and and give advice on how the government can achieve that. You're listening to Tripper Head's Talking Tea podcast with Aaron Bush and Ben Cowling. What's your biggest worry at the moment? A new pandemic or a new, more deadly uh, COVID-19 strain? Well, fingers crossed we won't have either of those. Um, for COVID, we obviously need to keep a close eye on it. And unfortunately, in many parts of the world, not that much of an eye is being kept on the virus. The sequencing has gone down. Even in Hong Kong, we're not doing nearly as much sequencing as we used to. So if or when something does change with the virus, if there's a new variant, I mean, I know Omicron has been here for, for, for more than a year. If there's something new comes out of the blue, I, I think we may be slow to recognize that. But uh, hopefully, it, it, even if there is a change in the virus, it, it, it wouldn't be a major health threat. Um, for other things, I'm certainly worried at the moment about bird flu. There's been reports from Europe and other parts of the world that, that avian flu viruses have been infecting lots of different kinds of animals, uh, which it doesn't normally do. And I suppose it's only a matter of time before it infects humans again. It's been infecting humans in, in, in the past for the last 20 or more years, sporadically. But uh, the more opportunities H5N1 has to infect humans, then the, the more chances that is that it will find a, a, a evolutionary step that allows it to, to spread from one person to another, which it really hasn't been able to do efficiently so far. And that could be nasty. I mean, I, 
there's a theory in, in, in the scientific literature that, that if H5N1 was to change the spread between humans at the same time, it would become a milder infection uh, because of what it would have to do to achieve that. But uh, uh, it's just on the horizon as, as, a, as a concern. But fingers crossed, we, we won't have to face any pandemic for, for quite some time. We all need a bit of a break, actually. And I, I, I don't think there'd be much appetite from, from governments to, to respond either. I have to say that, you know, if there was an H5N1 pandemic next month, um, I, I'm not sure what the options would be, even if we were facing a really a serious health threat because so much fatigue has built up. And that's not a good thing. I mean, I think it, whenever we do have another flu pandemic, we have to be ready to, to respond in an appropriate way. So what you're, you're saying is that if there was an, a, a new pandemic mm. tomorrow it would be dealt with completely different than it would be in 30 years' time. Yeah, or, or in five years' time, I, I think so. And I think that, that would be a danger, a specific danger, because if it's a serious pandemic that we really need to respond to, but, but governments around the world are reluctant to respond, you know, if something arises now, if governments are reluctant to respond because of all of the blowback from, from what's happened in the last three years, which I understand, but if, if that reluctance leads to a failure to stop it when we could have stopped it, then that's, that's obviously not a good thing. So, I mean, that's extra fingers being crossed that we don't have to face anything, anything new and nasty for, for some time to, to, uh, to, to really figure out what would be the most important aspects of a future response, what measures would be justified and necessary, and, and uh, try to make it as efficient as possible. And you've been running a vaccine study, you mentioned it earlier, mm. for over two years now. Mm. I'm in it. Yep. Still waiting on my latest results, by the way. They yep. told me that I needed to annoy you if I uh, wanted <laughs> them, so just letting you know. <laughs> anyway, have you found anything interesting, specific, in to the two years of the study? Yeah, so one of the aspects of that study is looking at how well the vaccines protect people, because initially the vaccines were very, very highly effective. If you remember, I think the BioNTech vaccine, Pfizer, Fosun uh, Pharma vaccine was 95% effective against infection or something. Now we know that's not the case. Uh, and we've been following people over time who got the, the vaccine, who got boosted as well. And for a few months, they're very well protected. But as time goes on, they, they tend to get infected, actually. And unfortunately, we can see that in the blood samples that we've collected. Um, so one of the things we're, we're estimating is what's the duration of protection against infection and, and how quickly does it wear out? And with the new bivalent booster, does that make a difference? Because it does have the updated strain. Um, and that would inform whether strain needs to change again. And one of the other things we found in that study is for CoronaVac. I have to apologize. I was a little bit unsure about about coronavac in the early days i think in in early 2021 that this is the, the one we call sinovac sinovac corona yeah. coronavirus from sinovac yeah. so the uh, initial estimates were 50 percent effective and then later it went up actually there were some other trials that were 60 or 70 percent we, we I was always advising my friends, you know, if you're going to get vaccinated, go and get the, the BioNTech vaccine because it, it seems to be much more effective. But when it came to it in the fifth wave in 2022 with Omicron BA2, there wasn't actually that much difference between the vaccines. And that, that's somewhat surprising. And then we dug a little bit further and we looked at the people who had the stronger response to, to Sinovac or the weaker response to Sinovac. And we couldn't tell a difference in the protection. So it didn't seem to be the usual marker, the neutralizing antibody that was corresponding to the degree of protection. Ordinarily with a vaccine, if one person's got a high level of antibodies after vaccination, they're going to be very well protected. And if someone else has got a lower level, then maybe 
they, they won't be as well protected and that would be the kind of person you'd want to get a booster dose sooner. So we, we looked for Coronavac, for Sinovac, and it, it didn't seem to correlate so well. And we're still looking even now to try and figure out what's going on. Why does the Sinovac vaccine work better than we initially expected? And why does it even work quite well against Omicron BA2 and BA5 and all the others that have come since then when the level of antibodies is, is actually quite low? So that's a, a, like a scientific mystery. And because Sinovac hasn't been used in, in the US, in Europe, it's been used in other parts of the world, uh, South America, other parts of Asia, it means in Hong Kong we have the opportunity to really look into it and almost, I would say, a responsibility to look into it because... Um, that technology is a traditional technology seems to to be very effective um we should figure out why because it's a useful tool to have different types of vaccines and to figure out exactly how they work so to be clear we know the sign of our vaccine works pretty well what we're asking is why does it work so well because from the from the neutralizing antibody levels it, it seems like it shouldn't work as well as it works and so that that's one of our active research areas at the moment does the study have any unicorns left? Any COVID-19 unicorns after, what, three and a half years? Is anyone still out there that has not been infected? Well, there's people who say they haven't been infected. I know some such people. But in reality, they may have had it and not known it. It may have been asymptomatic, which does happen, especially if they've been vaccinated. Um, but anyway, we know all along there's been asymptomatic cases. So I can tell you, I mean, in the blood samples, there, there's very few people who don't have anything showing up in the blood but then obviously a lot of people have been vaccinated um so uh, yeah I, I i don't think there would be very many such people left in hong kong at least in other parts of the world i could imagine people living uh, isolated lives maybe but in hong kong is it's very unusual to to have people that don't have exposures in the community on a daily basis i bailed out two months ago mm. lost my unicorn oh, oh dear Ben Cowling, thank you so much for joining me on Trip Ahead's Talk and Tea Podcast. Now, I have a little present for you. Oh, thank you very much. There it is. Oh, The Trip Ahead Stubby Holder. Oh, thank you. In fact, that's the second last one available. Oh, very kind of just you. Just for you. Thanks for joining me. It's been great catching up and finding out all the stuff that you've been doing over the last three years. Ben Cowling, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Tripperhead's Talking Tea is written, produced, and published by Aaron Bush for Tripperhead Limited. Additional voices by Jade Bush. Copyright 2023.